Friends, welcome back to a JKWD podcast. We're welcome here for the first time, whichever. I hope you are doing wonderful, and I hope you have somebody to hug today. We're brought to you by Audible. Go get your free audiobook, a free month at Audible, at audibletrial.com slash JKWD. That's audibletrial.com slash JKWD. Hey, Kelvin, how you doing today? I'm doing awesome. I'm doing awesome. I'm looking outside my window up here in upstate New York. It is blue skies. It's dry. There's no snow on the ground. Are we finally at that point? We're and done I'm with well. the snow for the season? Well, we are today. I don't know what tomorrow's going to be. <laughs> but today is awesome. And I'm, I'm having a really good time and looking forward to sharing our, our podcast guest this week. Yeah, uh, we just had a great conversation with Maura Sweeney, the ambassador of happiness. Um, I, in fact, we're not going to talk real long right now because it was just a great conversation and it lasted a lot longer um, than it felt. You know, it's like every five minutes we got a, hey, you guys got to wrap this up message. And, uh, but I think, you'll, I think you'll enjoy it. I think you'll stay engaged. Uh, she, she was awesome. Uh, Anything to add before I, Kelvin, before I... Uh, nah, I'm good, buddy. All right, here we go. Enjoy. Welcome, Maura Sweeney, also known as the Ambassador of Happiness. Maura, for you, that's Maura, the number four, the letter U.com, host of the Living Happy Inside Out podcast, and author of the Art of Happiness book series. You may have heard her on BBC Radio or seen her on NBC Daytime, but y'all have the same Google I do. So why don't you introduce yourself like an actual human? Which I think I am. <laughs> you know, I, I, what I do, I believe, is a life vocation. And I can't help myself but do what I do. And that is to look for ways to help people think differently in a world that apparently does not have the right track that it's running on. And we find ourselves so often polarized in society. Everybody has an issue with everybody else. Everybody wants to think everybody out there, including leaders, need to fix what's going on, and people forget that they are the change they wish to see in this world. And so your readers or your listeners know, because they cannot see me, um, I just had my 59th birthday, and I didn't start doing what I'm doing until I was in my 50s, because I wasn't ready, and I also believe the world wasn't ready for messages or people like me. Uh, I was actually, I remember being afraid to tell people I didn't have any enemies, I didn't have an ax to grind, and there was no one that I had an offense against. <laughs> a huge 
I would say that's a very controversial statement to make. I, so I really consider myself an advocate for all so that people would see themselves through a different lens and think about the various ways they can take wherever they find themselves in life and use that as an opportunity and a catalyst for something better to help make a better world. How's that for an answer? I, I like that. I like that. That's, uh, you know, we've had some of those same discussions, Josh and I, here about the crazy stuff that's going on in the world and how people just can't stand it. And I'm like, I, I don't understand how this is happening. Um, <coughs> but but uh, anyway, I like what you had to say, and I like your, uh, you know, all, everything's going on on your, on your site. So it's, it's kind of very exciting. Um but you're talking about happiness from the inside out. So, you know, let's talk about that. Some. I would love to. Um, are you familiar with empaths or empathic people that feel everything? I know some of those, yes. Okay. There was not a word for it when I was two and three years old. But that's what I've always been. Um, and as a child, I can remember, even though I didn't have the proper vocabulary for it, although I was very verbal as a young person, but I saw and witnessed big people as in adults vying for one another's attention and approval um, and doing everything, as I would say, out there. The out there, meaning looking for everything they were seeking out there. And I remember this little person thinking, well, how come no one is asking themselves, what do I think internally? Why are we making everybody else out there so important as if they were all shiny trinkets we're running after, as opposed to saying, what do I think on the inside? Hence the inside out. And the other thing is, um, I saw a lot of death, a lot of dying, a lot of whittling away uh, when I was a very young child. So I saw the vanity of life when I was really little, and I'm also left-handed, and they always say left-handed people kind of think backwards. You know, think about this. The left-handed person would look at the end of the book first, and I remember thinking to myself two things. Number one, wow, what's the big deal about life? You might start out as a little kid. You, you grow up. You do certain things. You may gain certain things, but at the end of life, you're like a little kid all over again. You need everybody to help you. That's the vanity of life. And the second piece of it was those that I saw who were older in years, who were the happy ones, were the ones that lived a life that was authentic and genuine to who they believed and felt they were from within rather than conforming themselves to the outside world or becoming victims of the outside world, in which case they get very nasty and very troublesome and very angry and unhappy. Mm. So I knew this as a young person and I always knew I'd be a writer. I would be a person that was in front of the microphone, and yet uh, I had to wait a long time. It's not like I have even an ego. Sometimes I have to push myself and think, why does it have to be me? Why can't somebody else say all this stuff? So there you go. But I, I enjoy everything I do. I love connecting with people. All right, I can keep going on, but why don't you ask me your next question, Josh? Um, well, <laughs> I, I, I actually want you to. I, I actually wanted to. I almost stopped you, but but you were you were. You were, you, were um, you said you noticed uh, people who seem the happiness 
were living, who seemed the happiest, were living their authentic life. What did that look like uh, to a child, and and what does that look like to you now? And and how do you how do you kind of describe that for people? I'll give you my story. Okay. I grew up in New Jersey, and I was, I would say, in in essence, a very free spirit. I loved to be around people. I wanted to travel the world. I wanted to go to school, not because I wanted to learn, although I became quite the student, but I went, I wanted to go to school so I could make friends. I wanted to meet everyone. I convinced my brother when we were very little to dig a hole in the backyard, thinking if we dug deeply enough, we could meet our friends in China. And I would look up at the sky at uh, airplanes flying overhead. This would be the early 60s. And all I kept dreaming about was who were the people on these planes? And I imagine not necessarily people from the United States. I imagine people from around the globe. If you could remember the, um, it was Walt Disney who did this big event and it was called It's a Small World. And it was all these little people singing. I used to think of the entire world as being my unmet relatives. And to me, they were already in my heart. But here's the disconnect for me about being truly happy and free and able to live a life according to our own imaginations and heart is that my mother um, who raised me was agoraphobic or an agoraphobe. What do you call it? Agoraphobic. She was afraid to go outside. I didn't know it. So I would be indoors and I used to feel like I was chained to the front stoop. She'd say, you go out and play, but don't leave the front stoop. It was three steps. And many years later, I've ended up traveling to 60 countries, and everywhere I go, I feel like I'm connecting with people. The, F, the other side of it was this. I was more of a creative. I imagined myself as a goodwill ambassador, and I really remember, before I could read, wanting to be a writer and a communicator of great ideas. But I was brought up to be uh, a lawyer, like my grandfather, and I was halfway through law school, and if you were to go to my website, moraforyou.com, and check on the About Mora, you would say to yourself, this cannot be the same person. I was halfway through law school trying to do, on the outside, everything that would have pleased my family. And I looked and felt literally like the walking dead. You would think somebody just opened up a coffin and I walked out of it because it was a false life. And I just, that was really my catalyst. So not a bad thing, but it was my catalyst for having to get off a track that was not me and to find a track from the inside that would allow me to have energy to feel uh, passionately connected with all that I was doing and all that I was creating and literally to feel like my happy self. So today I have far more energy and enthusiasm than I had when I was 23 because I remember thinking I could barely get out of the chair in the end to get myself to school to study because it was like a death sentence to me. So that's the tangible aspect of what it's like not living authentically or happily from the inside out. And now I am. Now I am. Wow. And now that you've discovered it's, all good, like it's all for good, though. So now that you've discovered that, um, how do you bring that to other people who may be sitting in that chair and not understanding why they can't get up? I mean, you, you now, looking back on your... 23 year old self now you understand why why it was hard to get up and go to law school uh, but you you might not have understood then you know that that you just weren't being you and how, how do you explain to people who have been sitting in their cubicles 
for so long, why are you the reason you hate going to work is because you're not being you. You know, we are all connected by our intellect in terms of what we've been told and what we've been enculturated to do. It's all the things the world says, this is how you succeed. This is how you have the good life. This is what works. And yet, if you look at society today, a lot of the rules that many of us were brought up with, including young people that are just coming out of university, they were doing, working, you know, do, following all the rules, and they get out, and there's really nothing waiting for them on the other side. Right. And there's this huge question mark. So it's not only older people that kind of reach midlife and the life they used to have doesn't exist. I will always invite, first of all, people will always know when they're not being themselves because they have a lack of energy, a lack of enthusiasm, a lack of internal light. And what I do is I, you mentioned my podcast. I never teach people or pontificate to people in terms of what to think. What I try to do is pose various questions that are very reflective in nature. And I do this in my books. And then I'll share an anecdotal story, a life story. And what I find is that all of us already know on the inside. It's like we have a candle. We have a light and awareness. It might be like that inner self, our soul that knows. And yet, because we're so busy answering to all of the externals that we lose, we lose the memory of who we really are. So my podcast help in that regard by, I would say, reminding people of the light within them. And then when people hear a story, I heard something really interesting. They say that stories bring us from one reality to another. Because when people hear a story, let's say somebody said, okay, I'm gonna give you the answer to life, and here are the 10 points. And you're looking at, this is your to-do list. That's an, that's an externally designed thing. It's also a something that connects more with the intellect. What I do is look to inspire with the soul. And when people make those connections, and the more connections they get, and the more they act upon those internal inclinations and aha moments like, wait a minute, I knew that. I don't know how, but I knew something in here is resonating with me, and they keep following it. Almost like, there was a story I remember when I was little. I don't know if it was Hansel and Gretel. It was one of those old stories where the little children had to follow a breadcrumb path. Do you remember that story? Yeah. Because they lost their way, and they had to go back. I find people can go from where they've been, which might be the fake life, right, to where they want to go, which would be their real or their authentic existence by following backwards They're the breadcrumbs along the way. And the way would be, oh, there's an aha moment. So how can I remember it? How can I retrieve it? How can I act upon it, hold on to it, explore it, expand upon it. And the more we do that, the more we feel more empowered, more energized. We may feel very challenged because a lot of times this new path we're going on goes against everything we were ever taught. But we keep going and we find like, wait a minute, I feel so much more natural. I feel so much freer. I don't have to compare myself negatively with anyone else. I don't have to be a copy of anyone else. And I could bring my own brilliance, my own, my own flavor, my own um, 
Uh, I'm not a, I'm not a cook. This is why I'm using a very bad uh, analogy here. My own spice to the world. But that's really what it is. I always tell my husband. He laughed. He said, "More, you need a GPS to find the kitchen." I haven't. <laughs> but one thing I told him, I said, "You realize, Jimmy, when I finish a blog, or I've done a book, or I've written something, I said I feel like I just cooked a gourmet meal." I am the idea person, and that's my idea of creation, where he loves the kitchen. So I hope that those analogies help to some degree. We truly do know ourselves from within, but we all, based on our upbringing, the, the stories we were told and the stories we told ourselves, we end up putting on a series of masks or false identities. And the, the very issues we go through is the steps that we take to go back to our original self. And I'm, I'm of the persuasion that our first or original self is far better than anything we've seen. Most of us lose touch with that pretty, pretty quickly. My, my thing, um, you know, I'm Kelvin, I'm Prince Positive, and my thing is when you master your mindset, you master your life. You are going much deeper with that because mindset from my, from my uh, position is – you know, the things you were taught, the things you were, you know, what you believe you can do. You're going deeper into the actual self. <clears throat> so it's not, it, it ends up not being a mindset per se. Um, I don't even know how to, I don't even know how to, how to word that right now, but it's not a mindset because a mindset is like, oh, this is what I'm going to do. You're going to a place where you're actually feeling what you're going to do and you know who you are and it feels really right um, when you get there. And I'm, I, I do what I do, but what you do sounds so much more deep, <laughs> you know. So, <clears throat> but you have that look on your face. I know because I'm, I'm I'm listening to what you're saying. I don't know to say that I'm deep. Actually, I want to say I, I'm probably so simple that people find me enigmatic. But Calvin, I'm glad you said what you did about your mindset because. I also created an e-course on, I called it emotional intelligence, and this is where you and I would probably connect. I talk in the e-course, which is part visual, where people could watch videos, it's part audio where they could listen, it's part reading, and then there's a lot of journaling involved. It's sort of like coming with me on a one-on-one -on -one journey. In it, you wanted to say something, go ahead. So is, is this your, your foundations of happiness? Or yeah. something else? Okay, all right. Well, anyway, um, here's one thing that really marries up between what you're saying and what I'm saying. I talk about the backdrop of our mind. This is really interesting. You know how a lot of us can have an idea, I want to do this. Mm -hmm. But there's a piece, and it has to do with the mind, but I would call it maybe the subconscious. It's always there, but we ignore it. Think about this. Have you ever been at home or even at the office and there's a constant hum? So it could be the hum of the refrigerator, the hum of the air conditioning, but it could also be the hum of the, uh, the free air that's running through. And all of a sudden, the electricity goes down and suddenly you notice everything is silent. That background hum of the air conditioning, the refrigerator has been going on forever, but because it was always there, you didn't notice it. So many of the things we think we want and our minds say, I want this, or I know this is right, 
need to almost go a step back and say, what is the backdrop of my life? And the backdrop, like for me, I had a backdrop of death. Everything in my life had a backdrop of death, which was fear. And it was like, oh, it kept me from celebrating things because I had so much fear in my early upbringing. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example that I use in the course. My husband um, had several people in his early childhood take things away. Well, I wouldn't even say through childhood, even through uh, early youth, take things from him. And I didn't realize this, but he had a fear of people stealing from him. You know, one time it was a football, one time it was a, um, a high school ring. But these things get lodged in the backdrop of our mind. It's almost like watching a play. And we may be the person who is on stage, but we're also watching that person on stage. And the person on stage doesn't know that there's a backdrop because they never turned around to look at it. So it sort of brings people yet down to another level to say, what's the disconnect between what I want and what my intellect is telling me that's a good thing for me. And that emotional subconscious piece that seems to always either get in the way. So I just give people little opportunities to go back and, and tune in. And once you can identify it, it's like the beginning of the end. You're undoing it in a sense. Yeah. That, I like that. I, um, now there's been a lot of, <clears throat> Josh, did you have a, Nope. Okay. There's been a lot of uh, guests. Uh, uh, that's not true. People talking anyway, versus, um, like one of the things I learned early on is we don't really have to go back in our past and find out why we did something. All we need to do is decide we want to change it and go from there kind of a thing. Um, versus the, the stereotypical psychological examination where you gotta, you know, go all the way back. So, um, in, in your course or in your your teachings, how do you handle stuff like that? What do you tell people about their past? They can, do they need to delve into it and sweep it out? Do they need to change it? Can they just like put a curtain over it? What, what can they do to, to get out of its grasp? You know, that's a good question. When you started describing all this, all I could think about were my original thoughts of um, who are the guys or the, the doctors that are always working on your back or always as your analyst, you get involved with these people and it is a lifetime commitment and you're going to go on and on and on and you're never going to leave these people. That is a mindset that always says you're always broken. You're always sick. Poor you. I will tell you my course. I think about this all the time. Every situation we run into in life and we may think there could be a million or a gazillion of them, right? We think they're all different problems or issues, but I always say it will always comes down to one of two decisions. Am I a victim in this or am I a beneficiary? And this could be the one backdrop to everything. Every time I'm hmm, challenged, I always say to myself, well, am I a victim or a beneficiary? And my answer is always the same. This is a choice and it's an inner knowing. I am a beneficiary. So what does that mean? It means maybe if something comes up from our past we don't like, but we're going to look at it. Even if it was bad, I'm a beneficiary. Even if it looked like it was a wrong term, turn, even if it looks like somebody quote unquote did something to me, I am still a beneficiary in a beneficial universe. So that's the all those are ultimately the only two things we can choose. And I always choose beneficiary. And the thing is, not only do I choose beneficiary for myself, I choose it for every single person I've ever had a relationship with. I expect them to be a beneficiary of life as well. 
So that's sort of like always living in the now, even if something from the past comes up. Mm-hmm. So I don't even know if that answers your question exactly as you're asking it, Kelvin. But it, 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 does, it does just fine. Um, <clears throat> one of my recent reads has been uh, you know, Eckhart Tolle and The Power of Now. And I was totally fascinated with that book. So, um, and even from a little different standpoint than, than, than where you're coming from, but we just got that, uh, 10 minute warning from whoever these people are. Oh yeah. Zoom. You that's, that's it. So <clears throat> want to just like, uh, stop and come back. You guys decide. I'm thinking we got more you than ten minutes. I'm not short on we, conversation. We we got okay. more than ten minutes worth of talking. Yeah, I'm. To do, so. Yeah, yeah, we definitely do. <laughs> all right. So, uh, all right. You want to hang up and then? Yeah, we're gonna hang up for like just, ten minutes and then I'm gonna bring it back up. Hey there, pardon the interruption right here. What just happened, as you heard, was we uh, had to end our recording and start a new session, and Mora and I came in before Kelvin. Did and we were chatting offline when Kelvin popped on, and that's when the recording started back up. And Maura and I were halfway into a conversation that we hadn't really meant to record, but it was interesting enough that Kelvin was like, Why don't we record this? Which means that you missed the first half. So, what we were saying was something like this when we had first met. Mara had commented that she thought Kelvin and I were going to be millennials. And, uh, you know, that was very, very flattering. And, uh, you know, because we, we're millennials with a whole bunch of experience. Uh, we'll, we'll put it that way. <laughs> but, but what happened was I asked if she had been surprised to wind up on shows with millennials and how that was uh, since I had... Um, you'll hear me jump in and say that uh, I was rather obnoxious at that age. Of course, when I was that age, the age that millennials are now, uh, there wasn't such thing as the internet, really. So um, there definitely weren't podcasts. There was barely XM radio. So anyway, here's Maura talking about her experience talking to millennials and uh, having some over her home and uh, and the rest of the show. Enjoy. But you would look at millennials and think, what, they're a strange breed? Awesome. Um, yeah, no, I uh, just, it, I re- I, I'm still young enough that I remember being in my mid-20s and thinking I knew everything and thinking that um, I would drive me crazy. <laughs> oh, you know what I have found? You know how everybody in every generation, we tend to generalize people. Oh, they're yeah. this group or they're that group. Right, yeah. I think maybe because I never fell into anybody's group. I don't really generalize. And I have met so many, I'll say even recently, I, we had eight young girls here. Uh, they're all, they were all co-eds from UMass Amherst over their um, spring break. Uh-huh. My cousin's daughter and her seven friends that the last night that they were here didn't have a place to stay, so we had them here. And I spent several hours talking with these girls, and I thought they were so precious, 
darling, wise, able to think on their own rather than being a part of whatever people have told them to think. They didn't have any chips on their shoulder. They were beautiful to look at, beautiful internally. And yet, so I guess I don't generalize or put people into a box. In the same way, maybe I can't be put in one. So I, wherever I go, my daughter said this to me. It was during the political campaign for presidency. I knew I was supposed to go and just be there and pay attention. So I went to several events on both the Republican and Democratic side. My daughter called me one day from New York. She said, so mom, how did it go? And I said to her, Kaylee, I met some very nice people. And she said this to me, mom, do you realize no matter where you go, you meet nice people? And that's how it is. People all believe, I could go on to another whole thing, but I have found this even 30 years ago. If, if when you I do, we need a break forward. so we can bring it in here, right? <laughs> okay. okay. Oh, that's right. We're not even on. <laughs> Why don't you lead a lot? We need a break so we can, like, merge you with the other one. So. Okay. We had a whole conversation again in 10, uh -oh. 9. Oh, no. All right. So, okay, now repeat that whole thing you just said so everybody else can hear it. <laughs> you know, people are sometimes said that. I think, what was the question? I think the question started with Josh who said about, um, have I been on millennial shows, which I have, and he wanted to know how it went. And I said to Josh that whether it's an eight-year-old I'm speaking to, someone who's in, you know, middle age or someone who's 80, I've always seen right to people's hearts and right to their souls and right to the gems within them. So I'm not talking to a figure or an entity that I am putting into a box. I'm really talking to their soul. And I guess I don't generalize that way. Can you teach that? Do you have a pill? <laughs> How does one get that? Because I, I'd love to consider that I'm like a really, really wonderful guy that doesn't judge and stuff like that. But I know that's a lie uh, in, in, the, in the long run, you know, I grew up in a minister's house. It was a Baptist minister. There, there is no such thing as no judgment in the Baptist. <laughs> I don't care what they say. So you're going to pick a lot of that up. Um, and the best I've been able to come up with at this point is let's go from a, from a, a, a place of neutral where I'm not, um, I'm not judging. I, I haven't put a label on anyone, but let's, let's just kind of check this out and see how it's going to be, which I, I, I admit for somebody who's getting over mindset and stuff is not the most advantageous place to approach people from, but it's a whole lot better than a lot of other ones I've seen. So how does one get to that place where you can open up and go right to people's hearts like that and, 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 I don't know, bypass some of the BS. That's the best I can say for it right now. And no, I'm not going to make it explicit, Josh. Ha, that's great. <laughs> you know, all right, I, there are several things or eight responses that are coming to mind, even as you're asking, Kelvin. And since you came from a Christian background, there was a so-called scripture I must have read over 30 years ago mm -hmm. in, a new, in a New Testament version. I can't tell you which one it was. And it never left me because the words stumped me. And it said this, do not judge any man after the flesh. Do not judge any man after the flesh. And so I thought, what does that mean? And it disturbed me. Would you believe, I don't even know where that scripture was found. Then I thought maybe I made it up out of my own head. Or do you ever read something and you thought you read one thing, but it was something else? Yes. Don't judge. Or no, it wasn't don't judge. It was no, like K-N-O-W, no, no man. 
after the flesh. And in this respect, it actually meant if someone has a title, the title might be a minister, a pastor. The title might be president. The title might mean mother or police officer. Know no man after the flesh. Know them instead on a one-on-one soul-to-soul basis so that the titles, the terms, and the, the monikers ascribed to people from other people are no longer the way in which you look at things. Mm-hmm. I just have had this ability, but let me tell you something else that's really helpful. It also came to mind when you were asking this question. I've been toying with my next uh, podcast slash blog, and it has everything to do with crystals. And I was cleaning um, crystals upstairs in, um, in one of our light fixtures, and I could see all the dust on top of the crystal. Many of us, most of us, see the dust on top of us. The dust is all the stuff we acquire, maybe things put on top of us, and it's not the finest part of us. We look at the dust and make determinations based on the dust. It could be the dirt. It could be the garbage. But when we look beyond that, we can see these magnificent crystals. And that's literally, I see everyone as a gem, as if that gem is within their heart. But sometimes, and this is what's so amazing, oftentimes I've seen people whose behaviors can be obnoxious, atrocious, abusive, you know, all that stuff, right? But every once in a while, I get a glimpse beyond it to the to the gem that they are within. And here's what happens. I realize that a lot of the the externals that I'm seeing are deflection. These are people that are protecting themselves. They are fighting back because they feel badly about themselves. Maybe they've engaged in bad behavior and they're trying to protect themselves. And there's something in me that is able to see through or past a lot of the obnoxious behavior. And that's always where I'm talking. I'm always appealing to that part. I'm appealing soul to soul rather than flesh to flesh. Or I would say um, dust to dust, which is another <laughs> funny dust to dust. That, that sounds was, very cool. Was, you know, the dust yeah, just like started it. and dust you're going to go back. Well, you to. just reclassified that phrase, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, I guess I did. <laughs> Redefine dust to dust. Hey, you're right here on JKW <laughs> Podcast. Yes. That was great. I, like, I love that. Good. Good. Makes sense. Okay, so well, another um, thing out of that, since you came from a minister's background, this is why I love conversations like this, yeah. because when people of like mind get together, they end up inspiring one another. It's like one thought leads to another. I grew up as a Catholic, although I always had questions. Catholicism made no sense to me, and every time I asked a question, I was told, well, this is just the way it is. But in the Catholic faith, it was a big thing on uh, <clears throat> what is it, Ash Wednesday. They would give you the ashes. Because, you know, once a year Jesus is born, then he's crucified, then he rises. Every single year it's the same routine. But on Ash Wednesday, they give you these little ashes and they would mm-hmm. say to dust you, wait, from dust you are and to dust you'll return, something like that. In the Catholic faith and probably much of Christianity, the belief is that's all you are is the dust. I always sense that we all came from the same place. 
and we're all going back to the same place. So there is no being separated. There is no you're not good enough. It's you already are fully embraced. You are another version of me. We're all going back to the same place. So I want to communicate with you on the level of reality, not unreality in time, based on all of these methodologies and I would say belief systems of you're not good enough or you're condemned. I'd rather be the one that brings people in and helps remind them of their true identity rather than a false one. Because the false one certainly is not working in this world. Doesn't seem to be. <laughs> You've noticed that, right? <clears throat> gotta, gotta see. Gotta see. But that's, that's, uh, uh, yeah, I, there, you know, coming from the minister's home, um, wait, there's a lot of biblical. I'm, I will tell you, I'm not so uh, in, 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 ingrained, engrossed in, into the religious dogma these days. But there are a lot of things, you know, biblical sayings that speak way beyond religion. And so I will use those, which confuses my family sometimes. We thought you didn't like the Bible, you know, but it was probably around before the Bible got there and somebody else used it. So just understand, you know, this is a saint like, uh, you know, faith. Yeah. One of my favorites is, is, is the verse on faith, which is faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. When you start looking at it, that's pretty, that's pretty new age, <laughs> you know. It's very new age. So when you start to think about it, it is a substance because without the faith, you don't ever see it. And without seeing it, it doesn't show up most of the time. Okay. And that's where probably get into a lot of the mind thought. And do you know, see, same with me. I really believe that we are living in a false reality. We've all created it. We have collectively believed in a certain reality and therefore it becomes our reality. It, it becomes three dimensional. It becomes our institutions. It becomes our life experience. But if we're willing to step away from that and go into what really is, and that's where I really, I, I believe that everywhere I go, I'm meeting another version of myself. And I need, I, I just know that. That's why I said like maybe a cousin I never met or a relative I never met, even if they speak another language, um, look different from me, it doesn't matter. And I believe there's this false world. And actually, when I told you I didn't start doing what I'm doing until I was in my 50s, I felt like I needed a lot of life experience and I have had quite a bit of business. I, we raised a daughter and, you know, all these things that I was actually studying the human race. Um, but there is a real world that I knew of as a child. And someone once said to me, more, you never forgot it. And for whatever reason now, there are people like you both and others who are coming to this place from a variety of perspectives, but it's all based on truth that, yes, we are part of this, what, this cosmic environment that we all collectively created and continue to perpetuate. But there are a number of us that are saying, wait a minute, this is not real. This is not working. This is not resonating any longer. This is not what I want. And what is it that is better, superior, more unified? There is a society that is so far eclipsing the one that we've all lived under and um, I just feel like I am one voice among many that maybe has my own take on things, my own vocabulary, my own life experience, and my own manner of communicating. But I'm part of a bigger 
I'm part of a bigger set of communicants, as in people communicating, mm -hmm. a similar message from so many different backgrounds. And they resonate based on maybe your personality. Um, but they're all saying the same thing, and it is true. And I think people who are looking for the truth, whether they grow up, you know, Catholic like I did, um, or Jewish, or they grow up, you know, in Islam, or they're Hindu, or they grow up with nothing. If they're looking for truth, guess what? They could find it from watching a movie. They could read a book. Somebody could say something to them, and it resonates like, yep, I know that's true. And I feel like that's, that's it. And we all start speaking. It's like it's the same general sense through a variety of lenses, but they're all saying the same thing. Got so is this true world? Is the true reality? Um, is it sustainable at the size that the false reality is sustainable at? And um, did you say sustainable? Yeah. So so I mean, like it, it takes a whole lot of people to to create this false reality, right? Uh, I mean, uh, the the way I understand you're describing it is kind of we set up these systems that. You know, we feed you through school and we feed you through, um, you know, th through a place of worship and whatever. And then we, we, we feed you through uh, a nine to five job in a, in a box. And then, you know, there's this other reality where we're all connecting soul to soul, spirit to spirit. The, the false reality can take a lot of people. We, we've seen that, um, you know, just the U.S. alone has... 360 million people and there are plenty of other people living this elsewhere um can the can the true reality take the same load um and uh you know if if yes what does that look like and if no what do we have to get rid of Ooh, I like that question, and it's very legitimate, isn't it? If there are millions of people, if not billions, out there that believe in a lie. How many people does it take to show forth the truth? Well, what if I, you know, one of the things I talk about a lot is influence and leadership. Most people believe they have no influence in this world. They really have succumbed to this institutionalized belief system that says you have no power. I sense that the power of influence that we have is so earth-shattering and that we are all an element of truth. So what, 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 what if I were to say this? We're all living in a darkened world, blackened, blackened in terms of the light, the light or the ability to see. Let's say there's a, we're trapped in a room and there's a single key and the, and the room is all black, but somebody comes in with a match and then somebody else comes in with another match or another candle. How much easier does it, does it become to find that single key? The light that we are, truly are, um, through our own sense of influence, our own ability to think, to be a co-creator. And see, for many people within religious circles, that sounds like, who do you think you are, right? We I can, used to think that, actually. I'll tell you a story. Because that's part of religion, isn't it? Yeah. You're so unworthy. You jerk. That's really <laughs> It's a shame to say, and there are some changes, but yeah. the basis of it is you're rejected and you're not a legitimate source of anything. But think about that darkened room and make believe that darkened room is our world. How many people does it truly take to be the light of truth, the light 
the life, the love. That, and I'm talking about a universal empathetic feel where I want what's best for you. I know your ultimate origin and destination and even who you really are here and now, even if you think you're living in the time-space continuum. How quickly, how readily can the current world literally roll away like a scroll? And how quickly can that single key in that supposedly all dark room be found with only a few people that come in and decide to show their light? I think the answer is it doesn't take too many. And um, I want to say I know that that's the case. I really do. Somewhere along the line, there is there has to be a few people that are willing to go through everything we've been taught to prove it as being a lie. It's very, very, very hard to keep up a lie. There's so much energy that's put into maintaining a system built on lies. But when you have something within you that knows the truth, that believes in the truth, and that manifests that sense of truth, the feeling of truth, then it's as if everything else has to succumb to it or acknowledge it. There's, there's, I believe there's going to be a tipping point. I don't know where it's going to begin. It may actually happen. And I actually, I want to tell you something. As much as I do follow what's going on around the world, I sense that we are approaching a tipping point of disclosure where people were told one thing and then suddenly it's like, you got to be kidding. We were told a lie all this time, but they'll be ready. And there will be a level of people that already knew and they're already at the forefront. And we will be exchanging one form of life, one society for another form of society. I'm not sure where your tipping point is. The things I have seen lead me to believe uh, it might be a little further off than you think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm only, I'm only saying, you know, uh, because like uh, the Dalai Lama came through through Syracuse a few few years ago, and I forget who the gentleman was who was with him, but he was talking about peace, and he said one of the statements he made during the presentation was that peace is a dangerous business. Okay. So when when people start, and I was told something the other day, I'm not even going to bother to repeat here, but the more, you know, I, I subscribe to, you know, Esther Hicks and, and Abraham. I, I love those guys. They, they did a lot of opening for me. Um, <clears throat> the whole law of allowing, is, which is a really nice thing to, to try to do. But um, we... I, I don't even know. It, it's it's hard to get to, in in my opinion, which which probably makes it harder to get to because I actually verbalize that, which makes it more difficult for me to see it. But to get to the point wherever there's people who are trying really really hard to create peace or bring about peace, there's an equal and opposite force. It seems that doesn't want peace. So. So how do we, I mean, I, I kind of know the answer to that, but, you know, we just keep going. But how do we, how do we, how do we put that into play? Um, I, I love, you know, peace is one of the things I really enjoy. Serious, right? So given that, that kind of uh, 
twist, you know, how do we keep going then? How do we get to that tipping point you're talking about when we have that kind of reaction to the people who like, oh, they know, oh, oh, we can't have that. I'm wow, like, Kelvin, you have, you know, that's why these kind of shows are so interesting or conversations. Peace is a dangerous thing. At the beginning of this show, I told you it took me decades to disclose through a blog that I am not angry with anyone. I don't have, um, I don't hold um, anyone as my enemy. Mm -hmm. That was a huge disclosure for me to make. And I remember thinking, wow, I'm stepping out there. You know why? Because what I was saying is I am peace. Wherever I go, I am peace. It doesn't mean that I won't discuss or go toe-to-toe with someone on um, and question them on issues to, to really test their mettle and even have my mettle tested on ideas. But I am for everyone. I am for a better world. Now, this thing, I could answer you in several ways, and I'll just give you a couple of things to throw out there. <laughs> Peace is a dangerous thing. You know why? Mm. For one thing, I will tell you, I mentioned earlier, I've traveled to 60 countries, which is an interesting thing in of itself because when you leave this country and you go overseas, you realize that we think we're getting the news, but we are getting a controlled version of the news. We are getting news. Certain things are told to us and certain things are purposely omitted, but it's in addition to that, issues are framed a certain way. And when an issue is framed, people are only allowed, if they keep hearing it, to think about an issue within the framework of the way in which something is established. You leave this country And all of a sudden, there's all new information. There's all new ways of seeing things. Our nation, sad to say, is a military nation. We exist through war. Our military is one of the biggest producers of our revenues. And we literally make, that's what we are. If you go over to England, England is primarily the financial center of the world. And there are a couple of places around this world that have their purpose. The people within those countries don't realize it because they're ordinary citizens and what they experience to them seems normal. So go back to that tipping point. What ha- and I've seen this happen. Look at all the polarity that we all experienced in this country uh, leading up to the last presidential election. And even since then, we have people on the far right, people on the far left, and, and they're arguing, okay? But here's what I have seen, and it has nothing to do with a or political party. I have been watching again because you, you blanked out about And they they're watching people that are supposed to be their camp, okay? And they're realizing that people in their camp very, very angry. They need to be right and they need to run a sword through somebody else out there that is supposed to be their enemy. This is happening on both sides. And when I say people are dropping out, it's that. Uh Okay. Where do we lose me? Um, People Uh are, when I say dropping out, it's almost like they're overdone. Do you know when you've had something cooking for too long? And you just say, you know what? I'm getting out of the oven. And they don't even realize it, but their their personhood has already exercised enough of the drama, and they just pull out. 
And so what you find with the people that are pulling out is that the negative energy that's been polarized and that fuels that negative energy that keeps this false narrative running is losing its, it's losing its power. And the power really is within us. So every time we pull out or just stop playing the game, that system loses its energy. Now, I'm going to tell you, there are people pulling out, they don't know why, but they've just had enough. And the other thing I want to tell you is that <laughs> I've been out there, like you could watch TV and you think the world is at its end, but you go into society and you go anywhere and you will find people of every different background getting along. Mm-hmm. The world would tell you and the media would tell you, it's all over. These are all your enemies. You better be afraid of them, right? But you go out into society and you find out people get along. And the thing is, I can say this with a certain degree of, of knowing because I've spent a lot of time in the former Balkan region where people have been best friends. And then all of a sudden their leaders say, I want you to pick up a gun and I want you to go kill that guy. They're former friends and they experienced what friendship was like and then being told from above they need to fight against these people. There's a war fought. There's so much carnage. There's so much sadness. And then the next generation has to deal with it. We are getting to, we're, you know what it is? We have reached critical mass in terms of this system and this global society that has been maintaining this, um, matrix it's just it's inevitable i can't tell you how or what but i know it's happening everywhere and it won't take many right. but then again remember i'm a person who always believes in benevolence and i am in a benevolent universe but i really i see it it's almost like a parallel reality it depends on which way you want to look at it mm-hmm. all right like a sliding door scenario so <laughs> So while we were while we were breaking um, and uh, talking offline a little bit, uh, you you said you uh, scrolled through the website and had had a vision for us. Well, I asked if it was okay if I share this because it's come to mind three times um, before I was on your show. When I I want to say I was maybe fifty years old, whatever. I, was, I had gone with my husband and our daughter over to Croatia. We, and this was a juncture in my own life where I had been, I had a corporate career, then I raised a daughter who I actually homeschooled, was building a business with my husband on the side, and our daughter was getting ready to go to college. So I knew there was a new chapter in my life. I had no idea of where I was going, um, but I knew there was something new. And we had actually been on this family vacation because it was sort of that in-between spot. And I had just gotten out of the Adriatic Sea. We were in Dubrovnik, Croatia. This is before anybody ever went there or even knew what it was. They kept, all the Americans were like, what's Croatia? And isn't there a war going on? There was former Yugoslavia. <laughs> I stepped out of, off a uh, banana boat with my daughter and landed on the sand. And the city of Dubrovnik was right above us. And all of a sudden, it was bizarre, but not so. I see in front of me, a vision that was so quick. It was a huge microphone. I mean, when I tell you giant size microphone, and a question came to me, what would you do if you were given the world's largest microphone? Now, I didn't even have a chance to answer the question because the answer of company 
the very cosmic question I got. And the answer was, I would share good news. Here's what the good news was. I think the two of you will get out of it because it goes right back to when I first met you. I saw, not myself, but I saw the very top of this microphone. And I want you to imagine it where the base of it was at the at sea level. And the top of it could have almost been up in the clouds, okay? Wow. And imagine the top of this giant microphone. I was sharing a story about two people. I couldn't even tell you who they were. One was a black guy. One was a white guy. And the story I shared was about how the two of them worked together like brothers. And everybody that heard this story felt so happy and so uplifted and so united that they were drawn to this good news story. And notice even the fact that it was way up there as opposed to down on the ground. Mm -hmm. And I, I knew what I was able to think in my head. Well, in the United States, that's our big thing was black and white for how long, right? Oh, we got the blacks, we got the whites, they're never going to get along. You know, who always feels threatened or who always feels like they're taken advantage of. That was the story or the narrative within the United States of America. But every country or almost every country will have its own variation of that. And here's what it was. My heart was like, wow, I'm going to be a person that shares good news. And this is the kind of news that really, you could say, floats my boat. But the people were literally drawn in, but they were drawn in from upper places. And here's the crazy thing I want to share with you. I just like, well, that's a pretty amazing thing. Probably eight years later, I was invited back. And the thing is, I didn't even make the connection. I was invited to an international conference held in Dubrovnik, Croatia. At, um, it was called El, the President Hotel. It was right on the water. It was a five-star resort. And it was um, this international conference on leadership and human resources. And there were people from either eight or 13 countries present. So these are people involved in government, ministerial positions, which is what they refer to them as, people in corporations, and they invited me to be a speaker on the, the advantage of being happy, and they wanted me to speak about leadership. And the person that called me said to me, you ready for this? I heard you speak on a podcast, and plus I spoke with this person, and they said, you have such a soothing voice, and there's such a kindness. We need that in our nation. So here I am. Years later, I'm like, wait a minute, I heard that message, or I got that message, I would be reporting on good news. At the time, I was living in suburbia, I was homeschooling my daughter, and then years later, I'm invited back to speak and address a group that has for thousands of years been fighting among themselves in a part of the world. It's hard for us to conceive of this. I've been to Macedonia, Kosovo, Serbia. These are people groups that go back to before Christ, before the Roman times. And they were all these special interest groups that even to this day are struggling with getting along. And they will interview me over these areas and they will say, Maura, I'm so glad you came. They introduced me as the ambassador of happiness. And they say that even if we didn't understand your language, we knew, or I knew that several people have said this, you understood me. And it's that sense of unity. It's that sense of we are all one and that there is a better way of living. 
and we don't have to keep perpetuating the myth that we're all here to fight with each other. Anyway, thanks for allowing me to share that. But isn't that amazing? That's amazing. And if you throw it back to me as a four-year-old looking up at the sky at these airplanes wanting to travel the world. This was at four? Pardon? This was at four? When I... This this vision? We're we're losing... uh, I was looking at the airplanes wanting to travel the world and make new friends all over the world and wanting to dig to China to meet my friends. So I had the world in my heart. And somehow, when I got to be in my 50s, the world was ready for whatever was in my heart and what conduit or ribbon I could be to help bring people together and to be that conduit, to be that unifier, because people really do want it. They need it. They've had enough of the former world. And I'm just playing. Bizarre, isn't it? Pretty amazing, too. You said, I'm just playing, and then you cut out. So I'm just playing. I'm just playing my part or my role that was started or germinating in me as a very, very small child. But I knew I had to wait until I was older. And yet it's one of those things that just keeps unfolding as it's meant to. But I believe, too, that that all plays into why it's now, why we're all having this conversation today. Did anybody know Abraham Hicks years ago? Mm-hmm. Was anyone reading the kind of books that they are today? And there are a lot of people that... Not out loud. <laughs> think about it. But these things are all now coming. It must be time. It's time. We've been talking for darn near an hour and a quarter now, and we haven't even started talking about happiness at all. Um, how did... How did you get into this happiness business? What's, ha- what's, what's happiness? Can we, can we get some definitions before we uh, start okay. getting near the end? <laughs> oh, wait, I was so unhappy. For certain times of my life, I was so unhappy because I didn't feel free, because I didn't feel like I was able to express myself. My grandmother used to refer to me as waterworks, and rightly so. She said, Maura, every time I say something to you, every time I look at you, you cry. And it was true. I felt like a little victim as a child. And I had several junctures in my life where things like that were happening, one of which was when I was a freshman in high school. I was sent to a private girls' prep school against my wishes. I was a day school, but I was so much a fish out of water. I felt like I was put in the wrong environment with the wrong people. I felt like a silent cry that nobody heard. Um, I ended up getting anorexic before they even had a term for it. So I had these various times in my life where I was very unhappy, but I, you know, when other kids are little and they'll say, well, I'm going to grow up and be a fireman or a nurse or a teacher or whatever, astronaut. I can remember making a decision saying that, you know what? First of all, it's too hard not to be happy. It takes too much out of us. And it's, it's a, it's a drain on our energy. And I remember thinking, well, you know, I'm young right now and I don't have the freedom that I want but I will make a decision to grow up to be happy. And that happiness was something that I would follow after by following everything I loved. Even if I only have a little bit of time, happiness is something, it's our birthright. We are born with it and we're always sold something less than our happiness. And it's amazing when we're really happy, we don't need that much. 
we're all, we are already all that. And um, so that's why I write. My mantra is living happy from the inside out. I give people maybe little tools and tricks and stories and reflective questions uh, to help them tap into their inner self and just follow after it and just, I would say, incrementally. It's like climbing a ladder or walking back home and remembering who you really are. Is that enough of an answer? Kevin, anything else? I like watching Josh when he gets really involved (laughs) in the answer or something because he kind of goes blank and his eyes just kind of widen and he was like all into it. And then I'm (laughs) I'm writing stuff down too. (laughs) I know that makes sense. Yeah, that was a nice answer. answer. Um, I should say one more thing that's just coming to mind. When people hear I'm the ambassador of happiness or I write about happiness, I think some people – uh, look at me and think, oh, fairy dust. You know, she's coming in like Barbie. Oh, isn't everything this beautiful? The truth is, in order to truly be happy or to live an authentic life from your inside out, it takes a lot of courage because what you're doing is saying, you know what, I think there's another way and I need to be true to my belief system. I need to be true to my higher ethics the value systems that are important to me. It may cost me some relationships. It may cost me my popularity. It may cost me sometimes my career, my whatever. But there is a, there's a great reward at the end of that. So I, I thank you for giving me even that opportunity to share that. Because I do think people look at me and think, ah, she, she thinks she's just had all that. Yeah. You know, it takes a lot to to step out and and say that. Um, I, I call myself the Prince of Positive. I get challenged from time to time, from inside and out. <laughs> you know, so um, and then sometimes I'm thinking, you know, I need to be like more positive or something. But I tried to convince somebody once that positivity wasn't necessarily didn't necessarily mean I was like screaming from the top of a mountain or something. It was a whole lot more than that. So. You know, it was more the the internal workings and, and how things were going. So you being uh, the ambassador of happiness, that works for me because there are so many people who are unhappy and 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 don't know how to get there. So, you know, trying to figure a way. I mean, everybody on the planet has a has a way. I've got a way, you know. One way is to just stop caring, got to say, because there's so many, so much stuff to care about. It's like, uh, we're not going to get into that here because it'll be another three hours. Um, but at any rate, so if you had um, a piece of advice, you don't mind if I do this to you, Josh? A piece of advice to give people, you know what, you, you meet somebody in the airport, you're having a great conversation you got one thing you want to tell them before you get on the next plane because they're getting on a different plane. What would you tell them? Two things are coming to mind. I believe the first is a quote that came from Maya Angelou. People don't remember what you say, but they always remember how you made them feel. Everyone you interact with, You have a choice to attack them. You have a choice to, well, you could play up to people too. But to make people feel that you care about them, that you care about the best that they are, that you see them as the best they are in truth. Here's This is the second part of the answer I was going to get. 
Be a converter of energy. Be a converter. If this world runs on negative energy and if it runs on condemnation and fear of the other, be a converter. And sometimes that requires us to do the extraordinary in times of extreme, sometimes pain, um, when we are going through difficult times, to reach out to someone in the midst of that and convert negative energy into something of benevolence. We can be world changers. One person to change the world. The ripple effects are extraordinary and beyond our imagination. How's that for a way of closing? I, I like that. You, you haven't so trademarked it yet, have you? And I <laughs> you heard it here first on JK so podcast. No. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for being here. Where can people connect with you online? Best place is uh, Command Central. My website is my name, Maura, M as in Mary, A-U-R-A, for the number, you the letter, dot com. Maura for you. My husband gave me that title because he said, Maura, I've never met a person like you. You are for everybody, including people I don't even like. How's that? I'm for everyone. So they can have, find my podcast unless they're on iTunes or whatever. It's Maura Sweeney, Living Happy Inside Out. But come visit me. I have my course, which will be re-released, um, blogs and podcasts and who knows what else. Okay. And my, my uh, newsletter, brand new newsletter. What's that going to be re-released? What's, what's being re-released? Oh, my um, course, my e-course. Oh, okay. um, Foundations of Happiness. All right. It, it looks, I, I was looking at it, looking through it earlier. Looks, looks, uh, looks extensive, actually. There's a lot of, a lot of thought there. It's a one-on-one with me through the course of somebody else's life, but it's very revealing, and people will get out of it everything they want to, and they could go back and take it again, and they'll get more out of it still. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, this was a lot of fun and, and time definitely flew. I can't believe it. But you know what it is? It's This is like-mindedness and it's one thought yeah. breeds another. So thank you for having me on. And you know what? I wish you guys well. When I saw your logo with the, the earth, the world, may you be transformers even as you are of everything that's good and everything that's awesome. Thank you very much. Thank that's, you. that's where we're hoping to be. So we're just going to start transforming. No, we, that's already taking. It's already taken. We, we got to do something else. Okay. Well, we'll be there. <laughs> but we like being converters. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. It has been a, an incredible, invigorating talk. And I'm certainly glad you were available today. Now, I will tell you, this is a funny story. I, and Josh has got stories of me that showing up at parties and stuff. So uh, one time uh, I was going to his party and I forgot what time it was. I ended up showing up like four hours early, which, uh, which was okay. Just, just so you know, I thought you were podcasting with us last Monday. So uh, I, I showed up last Monday all ready to, to talk to you. And Josh is like, no, no, that's, that's, wrong next week yeah. I, I'm, so i'm ahead of my time in, in a lot of ways you're going to make them pay for it so that's that's how much i wanted to hear you talk all right so all right. well you know what i hope we could stay in touch either through facebook or linkedin or twitter whatever because you've got the kind of content i would want to share anyway awesome 
Okay. And we plan to be here. Great. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, we're in. All right. All right. Very good, guys. Thank you. Thanks a lot. All right. Have a great Thank afternoon. You. Thank Bye. you, too. Take care. Bye. Wow. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> that was a... Um, it was a hell of a podcast. Hey, thanks for listening. Show notes and more at jkwdpodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe.